Good morning. Good morning. It's good to see you all today. This is a this lesson has is it's a good lesson, but it's a hard lesson to get your mind around. So, for this lesson, we're just kind of, we're kind of going to back up, and we're going to take some basic understandings as we move forward till we get to where he gets to in the book. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are clear about yourself, that there is never any confusion regarding you, that you always let us know what you want us to know about you. Father, help us to accept what you've said and to understand your love for us as we move through this chapter. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's, let's go back to the basics. Okay, so if you've ever, if you've grown up in the Baptist church, you've probably heard the phrase, the Romans road. Okay, so let's go back to the basics. So who's righteous? And where does that come from? Romans 3, 10, right? And we, we tend to, especially in the Baptist church, uh, we, we tend to... Um, say, yeah, yeah, I'm I'm not righteous. Um, But let's remember what this entire part says. There is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. There is none who does good, not even one. Their throat is an open tomb. Their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their path, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So, yes, we're not righteous, but don't forget what not being righteous looks like. Okay? So, um... So if we're not righteous, who's not righteous? Still in Romans chapter 3, verse 23. Romans three twenty-three. So who's not righteous? Anyone. No one. There are none righteous, for all have fallen short. For all have fallen short. And what's the, what's the effect of that all have fallen short? Romans 6.23. Wages of sin is death. What, does that, what will that look like? What, we, we understand death from a physical perspective. But what does that death look like? If you go to 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, it says, At the revelation of the Lord Jesus from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, executing vengeance on those who do not know God and to those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ, these will pay the penalty of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. So... What's ultimately the, 
if Romans 6.23 says the wages of sin is death, and we said that the, the payment is death, ultimately what is that? Separation from God for eternity. Eternal death, right? That, that, that forever separation. What do we call that forever separation? What's the word? Second death. Second death. It's, at the end, it's... What? Damnation. Damnation. Where does this take place? In hell. hell. What's the point of hell? Justice. God's justice meted out. Right? God is going to be just. God is just. And his (laughs) justice is going to be completed in hell. As it says here in 2 Thessalonians. On those who do not know God. And those who do not obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. Well... This is kind of the lead up because we have to understand this to truly understand the love of God. You have to understand that your sin requires not just your physical death, but your eternal punishment. So I'm going to make a jump that it's kind of a stretch at the beginning, but you'll see when, why, when we get there why I made this jump. Um, how far will your love go? Um, last week we talked about Romans 5.8. Romans 5.8 says, But God demonstrates his own love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So, how far will, you, will your love go? Well, let me throw some ideas out there. And then think to yourself, how far will your love actually go? Um, will you continue to love somebody who stole from you? In the, the finite human brain, we don't see that as really bad, right? They stole something, but it's not really bad. Um, what about someone who gets your daughter pregnant? Can you still love them? Um, what about someone who's had an affair? What if somebody kills your grandchild or your child? Can you still love them? And we have to... Um, we have to remember that as humans, our love has an endpoint. I know mine does. But it says in Romans 5 8 that God demonstrates his love towards us. He, he doesn't just tell us that he loves us, he shows us that he loves us, and that while we were yet sinners. And sometimes we kind of lose perspective on what that means, right? Well, in in the book, he says on page 202 and 203, um, sinners are those that are so low, so mean, so vile, so undeserving, so inconsiderable. They are transgressors, sinners, enemies, dust and ashes, fleas, worms, shadows, vapors, vile, Filthy, sinful, unclean, ungodly fools, and madmen. And that's what the Bible calls us. While we were that, God loved us. 
And that brings us to today's chapter, John 13.1. Where John says, Now before the feast of the Passover, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. So we've talked about our love and where our love comes to its end. 13.1, this is that hinge verse in the book of John. If you look at Matthew, Mark, and Luke, um, this from thir- uh, in John chapter 13 through John chapter 21, this, is, this entire nine chapters is talking about the final week in Jesus' life. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the last three chapters of each of those books covers the same information. So John gives us three times the amount of information on that final week. And in Romans th- or John 13, 1, this is our hinge point. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the very end. Now, somebody might say, well, John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That is, he gave his one and only son. But did you know that's a conditional love? Because what's the rest of the verse say? That whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. So God's love in John 3.16 is conditional on will you believe? And, and that's reiterated here in John 13 because it says, having loved his own. Which means there are going to be those who are not his own. And the love that he carries to the end for his own don't apply to those who are not his own. And that's important for us because we're going to have people that come across our pathway in our daily lives who say, well, God is love. But you need to understand God's love only applies to those who have whosoever believe in him, who have repented of their sins. Those are the people that that God's love is for, the repentant. So if you're living in undeniable sin, you can't say that God is love because all he is to you is a judge. This is important because this plays out in the people we're going to talk to every day. And you have to understand this piece to be able to have that conversation. So, and this... He talks about in, 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 in the book, he's, he's coming, trying to come back to God's love for us. We, we talked about how our love has an end point. And, and he says here, God loves, Jesus loved to the end. Well, what does that look like? And, and as we go through the chapter in the book we've been reading, um, he quotes Matthew chapter 3, verse 17 and Matthew 17, verse 5, where Matthew says that um, he's talking about, who Christ is to God, okay, as far as he is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Jesus lived on the earth for 33 years. He is God-man, which means he was a, lived a perfect life. He had perfect communion with the Father for 33 years. He was 
the beloved son. God was well pleased in him. And then when you get to Luke 22, the Garden of Gethsemane, it says that he, he had drops of blood. Why? Well, Jesus knew what was coming. He has lived 33 years as man. Perfect relationship with God for these 33 years. Unbroken by sin. Not one moment of that 33 years, his communion with God was, was broken apart. Yet he knows what's coming. What's coming? What's coming? We, we always, for lack of a better term, celebrate this come March and April. The cross is coming. And he knows what's coming. And he knows that on that cross, this communion that he's had with the Father is going to be broken. And blood, just the anguish of knowing what's coming, the blood comes forth in, in, in his drops of sweat were, were, were blood. It, we can't, like I was talking about with John this morning, um, he comes up and says, we can't grasp this. Can, we can't grasp this. We can't grasp the idea that we have lived perfectly for 33 years with communion with God. And the thought of that being broken being enough to bring blood from your body. We can't understand that. We can't grasp that. But we have to remember something. Isaiah 53. And, and, and Jesus knew this too. Isaiah 53, 6 says, But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. Not one person's iniquity. Not just one sin. In the book, he uses the idea of lustful thoughts and actions. Every person who is his own's lustful thoughts and actions being put on Christ. God poured it onto him. And that's only one sin. From all the centuries of the world, all the sins being poured out onto Christ. And he takes it on himself. Verse 4 of Isaiah 53 says, we, have, we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. God is doing this to him. God is going to pour out the judgment that we are supposed to have. And he pours it out for all of us in that moment on the cross. And Jesus quotes Psalm 22 and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, some of us would love to be able to say that we have said that in a, in a very appropriate moment, but it's a shadow of the real forsaken of God, Christ on the cross. So, 
I want you to, I want you, I want to pull this together because I want you to see this, this piece. And he doesn't talk about this in the book, but I think it's so important. We said uh, from 1 Thessalonians that it's eternal destruction, right? That it's forever. The, the cost of our sins requires forever punishment, right? The wrath of God was poured out on Christ on the cross for all of our sins. So why doesn't Christ have to stay in hell forever? Have you ever thought about that? Because he's the God-man. We required a man to make the sacrifice to cover the sins of man. But only God could pay that sacrifice eternally in that moment. Remember, remember, we like to keep in our minds separate God the Father and God the Son, right? But remember, they're three in one. God himself, at the beginning, before the foundations of the earth were laid, decided that he himself would pay the sacrifice for us. That he would take the punishment for us. And in the sending of the Son, fulfill that that was set from the beginning of the foundations of the world. God himself loved us so much that he himself came. He himself died and he himself suffered the wrath, his own wrath for all of our sins for all of time because he's an eternal God. Therefore, his sacrifice is eternal. He doesn't have to spend that time that we would have had to spend in hell because as an eternal God, he has now covered that sacrifice eternally. And that's why in John chapter 13, verse 1, He says, Jesus, knowing that his hour had come, that he would depart out of this world to the Father. Because he knew that his sacrifice on the cross and his words, it is finished. Nothing else needs to be done. He completed it. Having loved his own who were in the world. He loved them to the very end. And it's interesting, he closes in the book with this. He will love you to the end because he cannot do otherwise. To the end of their lives, to the end of their sin, to the end of their temptations, to the end of their fears. He quotes John Owen. I want to pray to finish this up. And I want to use a prayer from the Valley of Vision. So if you'll pray with me. Our Father, enlarge our hearts, warm our affections, open our lips. Supply words that proclaim love lusters at Calvary. There, grace removes our burdens and heaps them on your Son. Made a transgressor, a curse, 
and a sin for us. There the sword of your justice smote the man, your fellow. There your infinite attributes were magnified, and infinite atonement was made. There infinite punishment was due, and infinite punishment was endured. Christ was all anguish, that we might be all joy. Christ was cast off, that we might be brought in. Trodden down as an enemy, that we might be welcomed as a friend. Surrendered to hell's worst, that we might attain heaven's best. Stripped, that we may be clothed. Wounded, that we may be healed. A thirst, that we might drink. Tormented, that we might be comforted. Made a shame, that we might inherit glory. Enter darkness, that we might have eternal light. Our Savior wept, that all tears might be wiped from our eyes. Groaned, that we might have endless song. Endured all pain, that we might have unfading health. Bore a thorny crown, that we might have a glory diadem. Bowed his head, that we might lift ours up. Experienced reproach, that we might receive welcome. Closed his eyes in death that we might gaze on unclouded brightness and expired that we might forever live. O Father, who spared not your own Son that you might spare us, all this transfer your love designed and accomplished. Help us to adore thee by lip and life. O that our every breath might be ecstatic praise and our every step buoyant with delight as we see our enemies crushed, Satan baffled, defeated, destroyed, sin buried in the oceans of reconciling blood, hell's gates closed, heaven's portal opened. Go forth, O conquering God, and show us the cross, mighty to subdue, comfort, and save. Amen.